0: the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary as we speak rap music on trial now streaming exclusively on paramount plus Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. <gasps> Gather your besties. Meet her very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. For the movie that hits like a bus. In a good way. No one died. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. New CBS Monday. Federal agents. Here's so where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. Time to set it up. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved.
1: These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Finally, Island, you got him. Welcome
0: to Paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits. A USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Part of the USCfootball.com podcast family, the Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories,
1: and, of course, some unsubstantiated rumors.
0: And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald.
1: Welcome back to composite two star recruits. I am your one star host, Chris Trevino. And yes, you're probably wondering, Chris, weren't you fired over the last 24 hours? No, I was placed on administrative leave, but that's not going to stop me from coming into the studio to record with my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, this is the Thanksgiving episode because it is Thanksgiving week. This uh, pre-recording of the show was taken over by Coliseum Cats and more rumors. I don't know what's in store for the actual recording of this episode, but just to start, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: I'm a little uh, uh, bruised. I think that's the best way to uh, say it. I'm a little bruised emotionally, not physically. Physically, I'm pretty ripe, but I think emotionally I'm pretty bruised.
0: Yeah, people say that uh, you were banned from the hairstyle after calling your shot on mm-hmm. there being word that the defensive coordinator may be announced Monday night. But I had made a correction. I told everybody you were not banned, but you were beaten severely. We took you mm-hmm. out back mm-hmm. to the woodshed. Yeah. And uh, hairstyle all, woodshed. You, you learned your lesson to uh, never, ever predict anything <laughs> ever
1: again. 95%. 95%. You are making a
0: prediction, anyways. You just heard through some uh, players, ninety-five percent, Gerard 95%. sources. That uh, you know, maybe something might be going on, and and there was some stuff that actually did go on. There were some player meetings and some things to suggest, perhaps there was news that would break, but it turned out to be not that. Certainly, there was no uh, big announcement of a defensive coordinator hire. No big announcement of any coaching changes to our knowledge right now. Interestingly enough, USC has this bye week during Thanksgiving weekend, and it's going to be interesting to see if they use it for anything in terms of personnel changes, uh, recruiting. You know, we're going to record this a day early because we're buttoned up against Turkey Day. So, uh, you know, we are going to be just a little more uh, out of the loop as to what's coming this weekend. You know, we haven't uh, had another day to be able to kind of scoop up uh, everything that might go on. Um, But nevertheless, uh, Chris has uh, learned his lesson and, uh, but you know what, I I tell you what the pair style, uh, you know, they were, they were excited uh, just the potential of uh, maybe an announcement and uh, people I think are excited about the, the options and the possibilities with a new defensive coordinator and what that brings to the table. I think most Trojan fans are very excited about uh, the offense and what it's been able to do. Certainly it's had its ups and downs a little bit this season, but you know, you look statistically, it's still a very good offense. Lincoln Riley, uh, despite uh, the frustration over losing to rivals, still considered one of the best offensive minds, in college football, and people are interested to see what you marry that with going forward. You know, this is going to be one of the few big uh, decisions that Lincoln Riley has made from a coaching standpoint in his career. You know, he had the Stoop uh, brothers there at Oklahoma that he was taking over for, and then he brought in Alex Grinch, and that's been really it, you know, from the defensive coordinator, defensive side of the ball uh, standpoint, and so this is going to be Um, a new beginning for him and a new beginning for the approach of uh, trying to get USC football back on the map consistently at the top of the top 25. Before we jump
1: into our show, I just have to do a quick shout out to Meredith Meredith Schlosser, the official sponsor of the composite two-star recruits, one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over 600 million dollars in sales and more than 200 five-stars of the reviews. I always almost say 500. No, it's 205 stars. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R Check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate Check out all the listings and postings she has going on Gerard I'm going to warn people that there will be unsubstantiated rumors oh when we talk defensive coordinator because there's a lot of them running out there right now but before we get into that we're going to kind of wean people in with a little official visit usc hosted three-star athlete desmond stevens over the weekend for his official visit a six foot two and a half rated safety prospect 208 pounds at a clarkston michigan a former Boston College commit, three-star prospect in both the 24-7 sports and the 24-7 composite rankings, number 486 overall in the composite, number 26 athlete in the 24-7 sports rankings. You know, he's being courted by USC, Purdue, Michigan State is in there as well. USC, obviously, probably the biggest name out of his contenders right now. He took his official over the weekend, Alan True had an update with him, you know, big safety prospect, maybe more of a linebacker. We did get a question, Gerard, about him, and I will ask that during the section. We actually got a crystal ball in from Alan True for the Trojans. So USC trending for a another 2024 commitment for their class, a defensive commitment, Gerard, nonetheless.
0: Yeah, an interesting Scholarship offer and then bringing him in quickly for the official visit. And USC is actually recruiting him more as a linebacker. So that has been the conversation. Originally, the conversation was well, he's a safety that you could drop down and potentially he grows into a linebacker. Coming away from this weekend, from what we've heard, it's linebacker. And so you've got Brian Odom there, who is the co defensive coordinator, interim co-defensive coordinator for USC and I always find it a bit fascinating the scholarship offers and the push for commitments when you have an interim staff in place now it's not a total interim staff obviously Lincoln Riley is there and he's the head coach but you know that there are potentially going to be some major changes on the defensive side of the ball with the position coaches. And so this is always a bit of a unique thing. We've seen USC push for some commitments from the 2026 class. Uh, They've pushed for some commitments in the 2025 class, haven't gotten them uh, at least publicly. So with this 2024 Desmond Stevens being looked at as a linebacker, uh, it is a little bit interesting to see if this is something that gives you some sense of maybe some potential overlap, maybe – uh, Lincoln Riley would like to bring back Brian Odom uh-huh. I don't know it's it's speculation but it is uh something that you kind of just take note of and put it in your back pocket as you stated his best offer for right now is USC and from what we understand he is basically going to shut down the recruiting process probably going to happen here in the next week or so And just coming away from his official visit to USC, you you feel pretty good about USC's chances. So, yeah, there's a crystal ball there. And I think even going into the official visit, from what I understand, I mean, this scholarship offer from USC really moved the needle. It was something that, you know, with the offers that he has, uh, that's a big time school for him. And so that's why all of this has happened as quickly as it has so we'll see how this all kind of shakes out and develops and you know whether there's some other schools maybe that look at some of his senior film and uh, decide you know they want to make a push and maybe try to get him on a visit before the early signing period but i do expect a decision here pretty quickly from him
1: jar do you want to jump into the question we actually got specifically about desmond yeah sure keith w keith w from the 707 i should say fellas Desmond Stevens looks like an athlete with some dog in him. How does he compare to Dylan Williams? I thought that was an interesting question. Kind of similar measurables, at least, Dylan Williams, kind of six foot two, 210 pounds. That's his listed weight. Uh, and when I saw Desmond, I kind of I kind of got the vibes of looking at their kind of their body type. So I, I could see it just from a glance a quick, quickly from them side by side.
0: I say that's a pretty good comparison in terms of looking at replacements. I would think with Desmond, if you're talking about linebacker and you're getting specific as to where he lines up, it's Will. Will linebacker, weak side linebacker, uh, the more athletic of the two, the linebacker position that is really – running from the backside and you've got more ground that you've got to pick up, but you tend to, because you're on the weak side of the formation, not have to deal with quite as many blockers. So you're using your speed and your athleticism to be able to cut angles and be able to make plays in the backfield. So you want that position to be the more athletic of the two inside linebacker positions. And so, yeah, I see that too. He plays mostly safety in, in high school and, and has played both sides of the ball in high school. So he's not necessarily lining up the same way that Dylan Williams uh, is lining up right now for Polly. I mean, Dylan Williams started out uh, kind of the opposite. He was at the line of scrimmage playing as a, ru- a rush end, and they actually backed him off uh, the last year, year and a half, and he's playing more inside linebacker now. So he's acclimating to playing off the line of scrimmage, and he's bigger now. So it's, it's really kind of – Desmond looks more like Dylan Williams did maybe a year ago. He's like he's kind of behind Dylan Williams in terms of the physical development. Dylan Williams is looking like a linebacker right now and a guy that's going to play pretty early on, I think, at Oregon. Uh, whereas I think with Desmond Stevens, he's going to have to continue to put on some weight, probably going to redshirt but could be a guy that's there and because you you're moving him down you get maybe a little more athleticism if he's able to have that physicality that's the big thing right you can bring a guy down and say hey look at he's faster he's better in space he's a better covered guy because he was playing defensive back but if you cannot shed blocks and you're not physical and you can't tackle in space then it's all for naught so that's the main thing uh, about putting him in the box and whether he can, uh, it can be that guy. Uh, Whereas, you know, with Dylan Williams, again, he was at the line of scrimmage playing as a rush in and he has backed off the line of scrimmage just so he can become a better cover guy and become more acclimated to playing in space. Like I said, Desmond Stevens, a pretty good athlete
1: plays wide receiver as well for his high school. So he can get it done on both sides of the ball. So you, you like that athleticism being shown uh, by him at the high school level. I believe he actually put out some highlights recently, so you can go check those out on your huddle if you're curious as to watching the potential next commitment for USC in the 2024 class. Gerard, anything else you want to say about Mr. Desmond before we move on to probably the meat of our show?
0: Nope, just keep an eye out for uh, that uh, potential commitment coming uh, sooner rather than later.
1: All right, Gerard, you know, in like, I don't know if your family does this, but you know, like, throughout the day, people are kind of, like, snacking before the main meal of Thanksgiving. Chips and dip,
0: man. Chips and dip.
1: Yeah. Uh, vegetable platters. My mom's a big, you know, uh, shrimp and cocktail, little appetizers. And then you got the big meal at, like, five, four, six, whatever. I don't know what time you get to the, the, the turkey is stuff. This like a stuffing. Ryan
0: food analogy here.
1: Yeah, because I'm saying – because I'm saying we just had chips and dip. For, yeah, yeah, We had chips and dip and now we're getting into the turkey. I just put down the turkey on the table and it's unsubstantiated rumors with the defensive coordinator search and Gerard right now you're sharpening that knife. You got the you got the apron on it says kiss the cook or kiss the chicano whatever. You're sharpening it up. You're getting ready to slice into this this unsubstantiated rumor bird if you will. so yes, lots of chatter behind the scenes lots of it a lot of it is not true a lot of it is out there you know maybe some of it is true you know it's our job to figure out what is true what is not what is straight rumor what is just uh pure fantasy I don't know there's so much going on. Uh, Obviously, I got a little burned uh, on Monday. You know, I grabbed the pan. It's too hot. Burned myself. It's okay. It happens. But so much going on in terms of names and hearing Jeff Collins, Jim Leonard, DJ Durkin. Just it's all out there, Gerard. This is, you know, obviously head coaching searches and, you know, major coordinator searches they always bring this out. This is always what happens, and the boards run wild. And it's not just the P; it's every single board in the history of uh, college football message board. It goes crazy, and they run wild with stuff. And you know, productivity plummets in times like this, Gerard. It plummets in times like this. So, where, where the heck do we start? When we, when we uh, carve this baby up?
0: Well, yeah, there's been a whole lot of information that had come through over the weekend, which, you know, in some respects is a bit surprising that you would hear as much as quickly. Uh, But, you know, the season is ending and now you have this week off for USC. And I mean, you have several weeks off for USC. The season is is done for them, but we have to look forward to. Bowl games and, and how that's sorted out, and when you're practicing and what have you. But this is technically for USC a bye week. And so we really didn't know from an approach standpoint whether we were going to hear a lot of stuff about the defensive coordinator search or whether this was going to just be used as one of those sort of uh, bye weeks where the coaches would recruit a little bit, maybe on the road. You know, you've got Thanksgiving there. So obviously from that standpoint, they're going to be off the road and and maybe there was some time to kind of decompress. It, It just didn't really necessarily know. So it was a little surprising when we got hit with so much information about particularly Jim Leonard, the former defensive coordinator, interim head coach at Wisconsin, currently a defensive analyst for Illinois. And we'd heard a... Varying amount of information from varying sources with different perspectives that he was going to meet with Lincoln Riley Sunday or Monday. And again, it's one of those things where me personally, I kind of, I'm still working to get more solid information on him being in Los Angeles. And, you know, that's just due diligence. I want eyeballs. I want people that uh, saw him in the flesh, met him in the flesh, and can tell me directly, yeah, he was in town. And, uh, you know, if he's in town, if he's in LA, he's in LA for one thing, and that's to meet Lincoln Riley, talk about this vacancy at the defensive coordinator position. I don't have that, but as we conveyed on the peristyle, there's a lot of kind of secondhand information that he was in LA. So, you know, it's one of those things, it's like, okay, there's quite a few uh, things pointing to him being uh, a, one of the top targets that it's somebody that USC is thinking about. And certainly from that standpoint, I think there's enough buzz from enough different sources that are tied into USC uh, that you can say that. Uh, but whether he was actually in L.A. and meeting Lincoln Riley or not, to some extent, semantics in and, and the word interview always gets thrown around. And I've learned through several coaching searches that you just don't even use that word because some sources will use that opportunity to say, no, 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 no. Nobody interviewed because it's not really technically an interview. It's It's one of those things like, you know, the head coach is not talking with anybody. He's very happy where he is. And it's really semantics because the agent is doing all the talking and all the communication until the very last minute. And we know from Lincoln Riley talking about the hiring process from Oklahoma going to USC that he never stepped foot on campus before he was actually officially hired as head coach. uh, From what we understand, I I believe he actually never was on campus. So everything was done via – Skype, Zoom calls, and and probably off campus where people are meeting at hotels, et cetera. So it is, you know, difficult even more when you're trying to gauge how quickly is this all happening? I would think if Jim Leonard was in LA, that would signal that things are happening very, very quickly, which I think that's where, you know, Sunday into Monday, a lot of the buzz, you get players that are talking to each other. Uh, You get multiple sources in and around the program that start talking about, oh, what's going on? I'm hearing this. I'm hearing this. So that kind of lends itself to, hey, USC wants to get this done really quick. And they certainly have a pecking order of coaches that they want to talk to first and guys that they want to offer. In conjunction with this, some sort of random uh, reports here and there, one coming from our Arizona site that Uh, Morgan Scaly, the defensive coordinator at Utah, had been offered a job and that the money there was um, pretty high. And that's interesting because, again, it's another uh, outlet that's getting information that's clearly not the same line of information that we're getting. Like It's not the same sources. That's always the thing. You want to make sure that you're not in an echo chamber. And we've got you know, six, seven people on staff, everybody hears different things. And so Connor uh, Morissette might hear something, our beat writer, Chris might hear something, I might hear something, and potentially it could be the same person, it could be the same actual source. Even if it's like secondhand information, it could still be coming from the same source. So you kind of have to backtrack through that information and make sure it's not just an echo chamber. And you're thinking you have three different sources. And in reality, you just have one source. So, you know, you're doing that. And that was, you know, a lot of Sunday into Monday kind of figuring out like who's saying all this and who actually has information. But then when it pops up from a completely different outlet, then you're like, okay, that's interesting. Now, I can say this in regards to Morgan Scaly. I do not believe he has been offered a job by USC. I have nothing to back that up. I do think the interesting part of it is the significant amount that was rumored. and true, it's like you know you kind of shoot down one aspect of it. You kind of need to shoot down both aspects. But I have heard this through a couple of sources in talking about Jim Leonard and what USC would be willing to do to go after. Jim Leonard and get him to USC as defensive coordinator. And the price tag is really high. And we're talking like, you know, you're going to be able to get your guy uh, in most instances. And if it's not Jim Leonard, then maybe USC has to wait because there are going to be other candidates, maybe on the backside of the season that you could look at. And with the money you're able to spend, grab one of those guys, you know, the, pool of candidates right now is not complete and we have to kind of see what happens with guys specifically Dave Aranda that's the name that comes to mind for me when you're Gerard talking loves about him some
1: J- Dave Aranda he's well, itching it to break down Dave Aranda uh,
0: well I, I know a lot about Dave Aranda just because he was one of the head coaching candidates when we were tossing around names before Lincoln Riley was hired and so he wasn't a top candidate he wasn't a guy that you feel like that's ah, probably not realistic. And it wasn't really realistic because he just won 11 games at Baylor and Baylor was in the midst of trying to get him an extension. And I will say, I don't know how realistic it is that he gets fired. He's definitely on the hot seat. And they have lost enough at Baylor at this point and they've not been very competitive in some of their games this season that it is a conversation to be had. So, I wouldn't necessarily bet money on it that he's fired this year. My my gut tells me that next year is the year, and it might be midseason if he doesn't turn this around. Uh, but nevertheless, the money that USC, from what we're getting, I mean, the rumor is, the numbers being thrown around, it would be a guy that you could go after. You could go after even maybe a defensive coordinator, um, that's at a school where you wouldn't necessarily think that they would be able to slide that coach away. Now, it obviously has a lot to do with the job, and there's going to be counteroffers and what have you. But I will say, traditionally, while you know when we're going through the whole process of Lincoln Riley being hired, in my lifetime, USC has never made a push for a head coach that had been an established, proven winner at another school. Never. So I go back to mm, basically, you know, Paul Hackett and J-Rob too. That's about as far as I go back to really paying attention to USC and having people that were around back then as sources to kind of tell me how things went and the various different little nuances behind the scenes of what was going on. And so, you know, in my kind of lifetime, you know, J-Rob too was basically the closest thing you had as a proven winner that USC went after as a head coach. And it was really because he was a proven winner at USC and then he was a bounce back from the NFL. So he was coming back to USC, but the Lincoln Riley hire was just so out of left field just because that's not how USC's ever operated. So you start talking about guys like Dave Aranda, you know, you start talking about Guys that are way down that maybe don't have that experience, that haven't done it that much, and maybe you're just trying to get an up and comer. But having said that, at the coordinator position, I, we've seen USC bring in some heavy duty coordinators. You know, we saw them go after Cliff Kingsbury when they had Clay Elton as a head coach. There's a lot of people saying, hey, man, just move Clay Elton along, just make Cliff Kingsbury the head coach at USC. And then he turned around and got a job as a head coach in the NFL with the Cardinals, which is still mind blowing to me, but you know, that's how that went down. Uh, We actually got some really, really good information. And Ryan and I at the time kind of rolled our eyes. We didn't report on it because a things were very toxic at that point in USC football uh, history. It was, the, the middling years of, of Clay Helton, really kind of towards the end of the Clay Helton era, but the fan base was just not happy about anything. And we got some good information that USC actually went after Dave Aranda and were very close to signing Dave Aranda as an defensive coordinator. This was before they hired Todd Orlando. And I mean, Ryan and I got it, and it was like, dude, I mean, we if we put this in the world, people are just going to laugh at it. And it's just going to be, it's going to sound like we're pandering. Ugh, like, I don't know. We, we, we just, we're just going to hold it. It, it. We just didn't know what to do with it. Cause we just knew if we just went with that one source, it was a great source, but we went to this one source. It just felt like we were going to get called out for just trying to pander and, 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 maybe told the company line. I don't know. The fan base is always, it's always weird, you know, how people read into things and what have you. But then we got another source down the line, which completely different uh, from the high school football ranks that basically confirmed. Yeah. Taylor Randall was actually making calls out here, he was, he was thinking seriously about taking the defensive coordinator job. So, I mean, that's like, wow, really? Seriously? He's going to leave. LSU, who just won a national championship, to come to USC? Now, there's some backstory there with LSU, and it sounded like he and Ed Ergeron were bumping heads, which is is something that I've heard quite a few times, quite a few staffs. Ed can be a hard hard guy to work for. I've heard that from multiple coaches, actually. So, you know, there was a lot of issues going on in the background. They had a lot of off-field things going on. There were sanctions, you know, hanging over. Uh, LSU's head at that point. It was this weird. It, the LSU team that year, which I think was 2019, such an interesting story. I mean, that's that like that's an interesting team in so many different ways. It was like this perfect storm, you know. Joe Brady as an offensive coordinator and Ed drawn as an interim head coach who takes the team to a national championship. Uh, I mean, he was an interim at that point, but he. Took over, started as out interim. as an interim. Yeah, and, uh, and Dave Aranda there, and, and and LSU winning a national championship in a way that LSU football really never played. I mean, they had Joe Burrow there, great quarterback. They threw the ball. That's one of the few, if only, offenses that was really kind of more pass oriented that has been that dominant. I mean, they were dominant. They ran through college football that year, and most of the national champions that we've seen, it's been physical football that had good run games. Even the Clemson teams with Trevor Lawrence still had a lot of balance there running the football, whereas LSU seemed like they could just throw the ball every down and they were going to beat teams by two, three touchdowns. So that whole situation there, man, it was really just, how could this be? This, we're in like bizarro world now. But it goes to speak to, for whatever reason, USC's always had the ability to draw – top assistants, Uh, even Graham Harrell, you know, at that point where Clay Helton is just sort of floundering and you go and you go after Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury's there for like a week or two. And then boom, he gets the job for with the Arizona Cardinals and you've got to pivot quickly. It's like, Oh, we need another guy. And they go get Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell had already turned down UNC. So yeah, it doesn't shock me, doesn't surprise me when you start hearing about, hey, they're going to go after a guy and, and they're going to pay big money for a coordinator. Uh, it's just going to be about fit. Lincoln Riley's talked about fit. I don't get the sense that from that standpoint, fit means scheme, because it doesn't seem like there's like a pattern in terms of who they're talking to, what defenses they run, etc., that there's... Oh, they're looking for a specific type of defense. It seems like maybe cultural fit, which that could be very debatable. And people will say, "Well, the culture needs to change at USC. Why are you looking for a guy that's going to fit into what you have now? What you have now needs to change. What you have now is not working. That's why you need to bring in a guy like Jimmy Lake, who's you know been a big big, uh, critic of the air raid offense and went back and forth with." Uh, Mike Leach, uh, rest in peace, when he was at Washington State and criticized the air raid, said it was very basic, very simple. They didn't change anything. And he dominated the air raid when he was defensive coordinator at Washington when they played against Washington State in the Apple Cup. So that's an interesting tidbit to take away from the more recent comments of, of Lincoln Riley. But it does stand with some of the names that we've heard thrown around At this point in time, which I would say it's still early, even though we heard over the weekend everything's popping, this is fast, they don't want this to be a high school football recruitment. They want this to be Marshawn Lloyd's recruitment. (laughs) They want this to be Bear Alexander's recruitment. They want this to be a transfer uh, recruitment that gets done in a couple weeks, not a couple of months. And so we'll see if it plays out that way because, you know, USC doesn't have total control over how things go uh, unless they're willing to say, here's an offer to a guy like Jim Leonard. And then if he doesn't jump on that offer in a couple days, they just move on and they just keep moving on until they find somebody. I don't know if that's the right approach, the wrong approach, you know, negotiations sometimes just take a a little while, but nevertheless, uh, the names we're hearing uh, they are pretty diverse in terms of their background, in terms of the defenses that they're running. So I don't get the sense from that standpoint there's any pattern or or common thread there. It's uh, more about again fit, and 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 that's a bit of an ambiguous term uh, for for me in terms of what Lincoln Riley's actually looking for. And we've asked Lincoln Riley ourselves. What are you looking for? And he's kind of balked at that question. You're not getting a lot of details you'd like to hear. We're looking for a guy that runs a two, four, five nickel-based defense. We want a guy that you know, you know recruits the safety position really well because we feel like that's the position that's the sort of gravitational point for modern-day defenses. Or we want a guy that's a great recruiter and recruits front seven. You know, something you can kind of latch onto and go, okay. So let's read into that. But at this point purposely it's it's been very ambiguous and gerard you
1: only really mentioned one name which is you know the biggest name in the minds of every usc fan right now which is jim leonard but there are plenty of names out there you have jeff collins who has been you know an initial guy on the hot board and has been you know some interesting follows on twitter of the usc staff and we've reported on him a couple times in the war room. You have D'Anton Lynn, who, you know, with the Chip Kelly situation, obviously bought himself some more time with a big win over USC. But right across the way there, still in Los Angeles, and an impressive defensive effort against Caleb Williams and that USC offense. You know, Elijah Robinson is the name that has popped up recently in terms of, you know, being added to the hot board as, hey, there is no more head coach at Texas a and Jimbo Fisher's gone, but you have alluded several times that, you know, Texas AM is going to do whatever they can to keep him their, you know, number one recruiter in all things. Dave Aranda, as you mentioned, and then another one you kind of mentioned before we actually started recording, which kind of makes sense on paper, which is the former TCU head coach, Gary Patterson, who was actually on campus uh, during the offseason this this past offseason for USC so there is already a little bit of a connection there and obviously Gary Patterson a defensive coach been a, been one of the the best head coaches in college football during his time at TCU uh good DC so yeah that's another interesting name that you have uh added Gerard to this whole pot this whole s- spread of Thanksgiving defensive quarter, coordinator goodness <laughs> we're gonna stay with the Thanksgiving yeah I'm, like. I'm hitting it Jordan. I have nothing left but this bit I have nothing left but this
0: bit with Gary Patterson it is an overlooked name and it was just brought up on the pair style, and I don't know if the poster realized but yeah Gary Patterson actually was on campus for spring football at the very beginning of spring football for like a week and he was in meetings and there was some talk like oh they're going to bring him in as a defensive analyst he was a defensive analyst for Texas in 2002 or excuse me 2022 i believe and so he didn't do anything in 2023 to my knowledge i don't think he coached at all i don't think he was part of the Texas staff in fact i know he left the Texas staff in 2023 so the thought was yeah, is he going to uh, join this USC staff to some extent? He didn't. He he was just there for spring football. It was like the first week of spring football. But uh, we saw him there along with Cliff Kingsbury. So with Cliff Kingsbury uh, being in the mix and eventually joining the staff, there was some thought maybe uh, Gary Patterson would join the staff. But, you know, Gary Patterson, like you said, head coach, uh, had some really innovative defenses and defenses that – in the Big 12, uh, Lincoln Riley, uh, obviously very familiar with. Um, culturally, I mean, when you're talking about fit culturally, you would think Gary Patterson not a good fit for USC uh, and L.A., but, you know, that's at face value. That's on paper. I really don't know for sure. Uh, but, yeah, definitely an interesting name with a lot of experience there and experience is a big part of this and that kind of transitions us into talking about Elijah Robinson who's right now the interim head coach for the Texas A&M Aggies and you know Elijah Robinson was just made co-coordinator along with DJ Durkin the linebacker coach this past year. I think Durkin has only been there a year as well. He took over from Mike Elko, Mike Elko who I blanked had left and I think he's a duke now. I was, for coach. some reason, I think it was last week or the week before we were talking about Mike Elko as a potential uh, defensive coordinator candidate. Um, but uh, he's he's gone from Texas A&M, and it was DJ Durkin who took over for him. And it was just this past year where Elijah Robinson got a co-coordinator title. I think he was run game coordinator for the defense. And clearly, Elijah Robinson is an up-and-comer very much so as a recruiter specifically when you go and look at the deluge of five-star defensive linemen that Texas A&M has signed over the past two, three seasons, he's got a lot of those guys next to his name. In fact, he has almost all of them as uh, the primary recruiter, and that is a commodity, and Texas A&M knows it's a commodity, and so – In terms of, you know, his future, Texas A&M absolutely wants to keep him on staff. This is one of those situations where they're basically penciling him in and saying, "Okay, we want to get a new head coach. We're going to kind of build around that. But Elijah Robinson is, is staying put. He is going to be the guy that will get probably some type of assistant head coach title. I'm not necessarily sure if they would keep the whole defense uh, defensive staff in place. I, I've heard some rumblings about that. I've even heard some rumblings that there's some boosters that are like, hey, if we can't figure it out and get a, in a home run head coaching hire, we should just give Elijah Robinson a two, three-year contract. It will not be anywhere near what Jimbo Fisher's buyout was. And we can just see how that goes. We'll kick ass in recruiting, and and they've got Bobby Petrino on the offensive side of the ball as an offensive coordinator, and we'll see where it goes, sort of thing. So they're they're throwing out a lot of ideas, and all those ideas have Elijah Robinson uh, <laughs> as staying at Texas A and M. The the one thing that I did here, I I stumbled upon a source that actually knows. Elijah Robinson uh, very well, and also knows Fran Brown very well. Fran Brown is a quarterbacks coach at Georgia. And Fran and Elijah both coached at Temple under Matt Rule. And uh, they're both Camden, New Jersey guys. Uh, They're very close. There was some talk that potentially if you really wanted to go with a co-coordinator route, that would be something that would be very intriguing if you – went after Fran Brown, and you went after Elijah Robinson of co-coordinators, you could maybe make a move there, especially with the money that USC is is throwing around. Now, I would think, and this is just me speaking, you really wouldn't want to do something like that unless you had an experienced head coach that was a defensive coordinator. So a Kirby Smart, uh, someone that you can kind of supervise and overlook and make sure things are organized properly. The play calling is streamlined, you know, having two guys that haven't necessarily been play callers in the defense, you know, maybe they've held a defensive coordinator title to some extent, but maybe it's more title than really having the bulk of those responsibilities. You tend to want to have the head coach on that side of the football And it's really interesting looking even at the Georgia staff and how that's sort of built and constructed with Kirby Smart. They've got a lot of defensive coaches on that staff. Um, (laughs) Kirby Smart, um, Will Muschamp, um, and they have another coach on that staff whose name escapes me, but they've got like four defensive back coaches on that staff. And then they've got a defensive line coach. I think Trey Scott is their defensive line coach. Glenn Schumann is their co-coordinator. He's a linebackers coach. They've got a lot of overlap with defensive uh, positions on that staff. There's a lot of experience there uh, with uh, Georgia. And <clears throat> it's just interesting to see how staffs are organized and how much emphasis you put on one position versus another position. Obviously, USC's most unique uh, staff construct is the fact that they've got two wide receiver coaches and a tight ends coach. You usually don't see that. You see um, inside receivers coach or tight ends coach. And then that spot is a special teams coach or that spot goes somewhere else. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the the emphasis and, you know, where your head coach is and what positions he's overlooking and supervising and involved with, and, you know, just trying to uh, cover as much ground as you can uh, with your staff. But Uh, That would be something from a Cole Curtis standpoint that uh, my source, who knows both Fran Brown and Elijah Robinson said, would be something that might move the needle and budge Elijah Robinson, regardless of what A&M was trying to do from a maneuver standpoint. And that would probably be the quickest way to changing the front seven for USC, because there's the feeling if Elijah Robinson left, he would get quite a few of those commits and maybe some of those current players to come with him and go to USC. So it's a little bit of an instantaneous, like we're going to get three or four guys in the front seven and those are going to be all pretty good players, which is you know what USC obviously needs on top of a scheme that is more consistent and they're just better play calling, et cetera. Um, I, had a, I
1: had a quick question. Yeah. Say you do get, let's just hypothetically, you do get Elijah Robinson. Does he become handicapped because of USC's NIL struggles? Obviously, Texas A&M was not struggling in the NIL department. They were a five-family of NIL, for God's sake. So do you see what I'm saying? Like, if you put him in a situation where USC's NIL has struggled, does that obviously – maybe that would turn him off to potentially come into USC – Or if he
0: does, is he able to overcome that? A great question. A question that's been brought up. A question I can't answer. I really don't. Fair enough. Moving on. I think you could project that and, and it would be something that even Elijah Robinson would probably have to evaluate and figure out. Dante Williams, we've seen over the past couple years, have more struggles, lose some commits. And he for a number of years was considered an elite recruiter. So, yeah, uh, the NIL question and everything that comes along with it, there's a lot of unknowns in terms of where USC and their plan and their approach will be at this time next year. You know, Philosophically, are they changing things? Will there continue to be three different collectives all doing the same thing? I don't know, but it's a valid question. Absolutely. You can say, listen, you've got way more free reign at Texas A&M, Tennessee, Miami, Oregon than you're going to have at USC right now. But in the future, maybe that changes. I still think Elijah Robinson is an elite enough of a recruiter that he's going to still make a dent, that there's still, especially when you're talking about the transfer portal, you're going to be able to make some moves there because USC's made some moves in the transfer portal. When it comes to NIL, they've done well there and they've done well in retaining a lot of their talent. So I think, you know, from that standpoint, he would make a a dent. I I think he would make some moves also along the defensive line, the high school level. And Fran Brown himself is a really, really good recruiter too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, that, that would be sort of the extreme of you can, Approach this two different ways from a coaching search. If you're USC, you can say, Let's go after personnel. Let's do what Oregon did. Oregon went after Dan Landing. They went after a bunch of guys that were very good recruiters, but were short on X's and O's. We're short on either the experience of being coordinators or the experience and results of being coordinators. And Kind of overlooked that for, but they can get kids, and with Nike supplementing them with NIL, they're going to be able to recruit at an elite level for Oregon. Or you can say, you know what, we want to develop, and we want to have a good defense from a X X's and O standpoint. We may not be competitive uh, recruiting with the. You know, top echelon of schools, but we think we can get enough players where, from a system standpoint, we are going to be effective. It's basically the Chip Kelly philosophy, but on defense, because Chip Kelly, not a recruiter, not a guy out there that's pushing hard to sign a bunch of five star players here and there. Probably the biggest upside losing UCLA is ironically, it potentially gives Chip Kelly a longer run at UCLA. That win was a big win, and I think going into the game, I don't know if we're going to talk about that game, but I think UCLA and Chip Kelly specifically were looking ahead to that game. A loss to Arizona State sucks, but let me tell you, at Brightwood, a loss to ASU doesn't move the needle as much as a win against USC, and I've seen that before even from Chip Kelly that first year where I think there was like three weeks there he basically – Throughout out the install packages for all those schools that they were preparing for. And they were just like, what's USC doing? Let's just kind of focus and have a game plan for USC. So nevertheless, you can go that way and go full X's and O's and say, you know what? We're not going to have a bunch of elite recruiters. We're not going to get a defensive coordinator. Certainly, that's going to be a guy that's going to be out there uh, recruiting hard. That position is going to be the position for scheme. And that position is going to be the position where we're going to have our guys practicing properly, uh, just organizations going to be there, et cetera. You're going to just have somebody on the defensive side of the ball that is going to be like a head coach, but they are going to emphasize system, the X's and O's over the Jimmy's and Joe's. Now you can kind of get the best of both worlds, which I think which is what USC is probably going to aim for, is get your coordinator that's got experience, that's done it elsewhere. And this is kind of where Jim Leonard would come in. Jim Leonard's got good results behind him. Now it's basically at one school, unless you're looking at the NFL and some of the work that he did there under Rex Ryan. But from a coordinator standpoint, it's basically just at Wisconsin, the statistics and results that he has there, but not necessarily a guy that's like a monster recruiter. He, he, he and, and it's hard to be a monster recruiter at Wisconsin. He got some guys, but it was more about developing those guys. It was more about his system. And so That's sort of the other extreme. You know, you've got the Elijah Robinson, and then you've got the Jim Leonard, and then you kind of got guys that you kind of shuffle in between. And Jeff Collins, the former head coach at Georgia Tech, would be one of those guys. He's more toward, I would say, the Elijah Robinson end of the spectrum because he actually has done a decent job recruiting. And I've seen some posts and some comments. He wouldn't move the needle in California as a recruiter. He's a pretty decent recruiter. Everywhere he's gone from what I've seen, he's got some guys. and So he's been a pretty good recruiter, but he's also a guy that has some statistical background to prove that, you know, what he's done schematically also works. So he's kind of in the middle of that. And that's a name that we've heard that's certainly interested in the job. At the very least, he's very interested in the job. I'm confident in saying he's been in contact with representatives of USC. Hard to know if he's actually had a conversation with Lincoln Riley. It would pro- it would be a Zoom conversation. He's not been L- in L.A. from from everything that I've gathered, uh, but definitely a guy that's very interested. You mentioned and Lynn. We're going to see what happens with UCLA. You know, we're going to see what happens with that staff. They definitely want to keep him. There are some rumblings that De'Anton Lynn might want to go back to the NFL. Now, the question would be, uh, you know, what title is he going to be able to get going from UCLA to the NFL? Now, he's got a great defense there at UCLA. He did that in one year, but it's one year. So I don't know if he's going to be able to parlay that into a defensive coordinator job at the nfl he might still have to go to the nfl and be a position coach maybe he can get on as an assistant head coach and still make good money if he really just wants to go back to the nfl he could do that so with him and i know usc is aware of him and this is a name that has come up over the weekend that's probably somebody usc will be contacting now is that Lincoln Riley going to give him a call is, you know, is it going to be Jen Cohen? That's going to give him the call, USC athletic director, or is it just going to be sort of that group that they bring together for the search firm? And and sometimes that's a group that's internal. Sometimes that's a group that is um, external. And so, you know, nevertheless, I think that he is on the list right now from, from what I understand Uh, But whether he wants to continue to coach college football uh, and whether he's going to have an opportunity to stay at UCLA, I think with the money that USC has, and let's make this clear, just because they're willing to spend a lot of money on a guy like a Jim Leonard or let's say a Dave Aranda or somebody in the NFL that they feel like, oh, that's going to be a great pickup for us, doesn't mean that they're going to just throw that kind of deal at everybody. You know, there's certain levels that you have to consider here. Just like with Lincoln Riley, you're not paying $11 million a year for 10 years to Matt Campbell. Uh, you're probably not even going to do that for Luke Fickle or any of those other coaching candidates that were on the board at that point in time. That was the Lincoln Riley deal. So every deal is going to be uh, shaped and and built uh, depending on what your candidate is and where you are on your list of candidates. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But, you know, D'Anton Lynn is another name that has definitely popped up uh, in conversations. But his future in college football is a little bit of a question mark. And certainly there's a question mark whether uh, the UCLA staff is going to be uh, together. And in that case, there's a, there's a buyout there. And there's, you know, moving across town and, and you know, having to uh, be the defensive coordinator for for the bad guys. Not necessarily, I mean, from, you know, the viewpoint of Bruin fans. The bad guys. The bad guys, you know. For USC fans, here's the good guys. <laughs> it's the other way around. But, um, yeah, that, that I think that's probably not a big deal. And like I said, I think USC has got the money that they could – probably may if they really wanted to make that move they could make that move um i don't know that ucla would be able to outbid them the thing that's interesting with all of this chip kelly talk is you know they're coming up now where they've got to start paying chip kelly chip kelly money uh which is which is interesting because you know you had the 49ers paying some of his salary for for the first i don't know how many years and i don't know how his contract is is been negotiated and how it's all broken down but um nevertheless uh, they got him uh for a discount and they're not going to get that discount anymore now is chip kelly still the chip kelly that you hired when he was coming from the NFL and you could argue no that uh you know his the, the shine on his star is not quite as bright as it was so he can't demand the same salary but nevertheless they that's got to be reconciled as well at UCLA so you know, there's going to be maybe less money to go around for Deanton Lynn. Someone
1: you did not notice or mention, sorry, not notice, but that was uh, left off this little list, even though we talked about them extensively last week, was Jimmy Lake, the Lakester, Lake Meyer, Montlake, Montlake,
0: Silver Lake. Yes. Uh, No, talk about him. Haven't heard his name mentioned recently. I can't say that he's not someone that USC would consider, but at this point of the names that came up really over the weekend and after the game, Jimmy Lake just wasn't one of them, but certainly a a great candidate. There's connection there with Jen Cohen. The thing that is sort of the elephant in the room is, a little bit of a contentious relationship with Mike Leach. Mike Leach was very influential in Lincoln Riley's career. I don't know if there was anything personal there. Furthermore, there is a clash of football philosophies, which again, maybe is a good thing. You know, there's the whole good cop bad cop. There's the whole yin and yang. There's the whole you know balance of tension that you would get with a defensive coordinator who just doesn't buy into the air raid as being a championship offense. And then you have Lincoln Riley, whose roots come from the air raid offense. He doesn't run the traditional Mike Leach air raid offense at USC, but still there's a lot to be said when you know your mentor and the system that you basically grew from uh, is – going to be influential in your coaching career going forward throughout Uh, unless you have some type of mentor that kind of balances that out you know some head coaches they come from a certain system but then they've coached under a very significant head coach who's been successful that maybe augments that that Influence to some extent. Lincoln Riley really hasn't had that. I mean, you can maybe make some argument with Bob Stoops being around Norman and there being that sort of mentorship early on. I mean, he he coached under Bob Stoops for a while. And you know, when Bob Stoops stepped down, he was still involved with the program. And so, you know, maybe there's some augmentation there. We know that Lincoln Riley took a step back at some point when he was at Oklahoma and realized he had to have a better, more balanced offense with the run game and developed running more GT counter and and things like that to be able to uh, not be a pass-first offense that was throwing the ball 60 times a game. You're not going to win championships that way, and he understood that, and he made those adjustments. Now, those adjustments have not necessarily uh, been – very productive for him at USC. You know they're passing the ball a lot at USC, and you know we've talked about it the last two years. They could definitely run the ball more. You know you've got Marshall Lynch who was running the ball for seven and a half yards a carry. The reason he's running for seven and a half yards of carry is because they run him for ten yards and twelve yards and eight yards. But the minute he's running for less than eight yards, They stop running the football. It's like, oh, we're not getting enough yards out out of these plays. I mean, you're running for eight yards a carry. That's ridiculous. You know, the good running teams, their number one tailback tends to be running for, you know, like five yards a carry, six yards a carry at the most. But they're getting carries also where they're going to get two yards. You're going to get three yards. And the minute USC gets, you know, three yards, four yards, they abandon the run. And so that's one of the issues that you see where you're starting to talk about the program as a whole. And we can sit here and talk about defensive coordinators, and you're going to plug this guy in, and you're going to marry it with this scheme. But bigger picture-wise, you know USC still got to do some things offensively that are going to help the defense, but also that are going to help the offense and not be as predictable throwing the ball as much as they do. It's one of those things where they run the ball really well, and then they get stuff for like a, a three-yard run or a two-yard run, even a, even a four-yard run. It seems like they get stopped for anything less than seven, eight yards, and they just go away from the run completely. And they're still running play action, you know, 10 snaps later. And it's like, you guys haven't run the ball for a whole quarter. Nobody's buying that. I don't know why that's not apparent to the coaching staff. Like, oh, OK. And, and then that the conversation becomes, well, it's the RPO, and maybe it's Caleb Williams that's Making these adjustments at the line of scrimmage, I don't know, man. I'm not going to go down that road. Uh, Does USC really have two coordinators on offense? Is is there a co-coordinator type of system, (laughs) Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams? I don't know. We're going to find out next year in a hurry. But nevertheless, uh, I think um, beyond just the defensive coordinator position to kind of wrap this section up, uh, USC's got to make some changes on the offensive side as well. Very nice
1: wrap-up, and I appreciate you wrapping that whole thing up, Gerard. How do you feel after all that turkey?
0: <laughs> no turkey. I mean, technically, if it was turkey, I would be in a coma, a fan of a coma right now. Do you even like turkey? I do like turkey. I like okay. dark meat. Okay. Um, my sure. mom makes a killer stuffing, so I, I actually – Probably like this. I mean, the stuffing goes a long ways too because you get stuffing sandwiches, and you can fry it up, and you can just have some stuffing with some potatoes or whatever. So turkey is great, but it's a very sort of it's a once a year thing. I just unless I'm having like cold cut turkey on a sandwich, I don't eat a lot of turkey. So it's a one hitter. It's yeah, a one it's hitter. it's like that time of the year, you know, ham at Easter, turkey at Thanksgiving. Uh, it's an assortment of things. Christmas, you never really know. Somebody makes a prime rib. Somebody makes a a pork rack. That's always kind of, okay, what what does everybody feel like? What's what's the going thing? Do we want to change something? Do we want to do something new? What do you do? And this is taking us off topic. I apologize. But you're on the topic of turkeys. You a fryer guy like Ryan or do you do something different? We've been brining the last few years and it's always – it's been very consistently good, like the last three or four years we've done that.
1: Like a dry brine?
0: No. Um, a wet brine. Yeah. And in and, and the cooler and the whole nine yards, it's it's actually been really consistently good because you can get dry turkey. You know, you can get that's, – that's usually the thing you want to stay away from is drying out your turkey. And uh, we did fry it uh, one year, and I say we. My dad did. Um, and it was supervised. okay. Supervised. Yeah. <laughs> it was Okay. But um, the brining has kind of been the go-to for us lately.
1: Well, if you could – you don't have to give me this process now on the show unless you want to. But I if, couldn't if, maybe,
0: if I wanted to. It just, okay. Well, I if you
1: could maybe send me that later, I would be interested in trying a wet brine because okay. I do want to try it. I have done a dry brine. I don't really remember. I, I got ambitious one year and, and tried it out. I think it was good. I think it was like – the best turkey i've made i didn't do anything special last year we were going to try to sous vide the turkey this year with a dry brine are you familiar with the sous vide game no Where you put it in like a, a uh, air lo- airlock bag and then you put it in like water and you have the uh, you attach this little thing that looks like a like a immersion blender kind of it's like a heater you stick it on the side and it cooks the meat it, it heats the the water up to whatever you set it to like 350 degrees and then you cook it while it's in the bag in the water for like six hours and then you would flash cook it in the, the oven so it's it's a way to keep everything moist we've done it with steaks and lobster uh, you can do it with a turkey you just need a big enough bag and a big enough container to hold the water but that was something we were thinking about doing but doesn't seem like it's going to happen so i would take your wet brine recommendation and i would try that i would try that
0: I know my mom mentioned something about taking the backbone out of the turkey this year. And there's... Yeah, spatchcocking it. Spatchcocking. I I didn't want to say it because I wasn't sure that might have been like a racial slur in another language. But yeah, that's that's what they're doing this year, which I don't think they've done. Uh, But you can tell by uh, the way that I'm speaking about this process that I don't know much about it.
1: So you're just like watching everything yes are you are you in charge of anything on thanksgiving you
0: (laughs) no watching the kids maybe i don't know making some dip
1: but yeah you don't even do like the rolls you don't even like put the rolls in the oven no you just you just you just like gerard get out of the get out of the kitchen stay out don't come in here yeah okay
0: yeah hands in pockets outside yeah yeah okay Uh, yeah that's that's pretty much me on thanksgiving yeah
1: okay Fair enough, fair enough. I'm actually going to have to write this down in the stamps. Turkey talk. Turkey talk. Turkey brine talk. You started it. I I sort of with the bit. I get it. Uh, Yeah, it's my fault. It's my fault. Your
0: sketch writing class
1: is coming in clutch. Thank you. I appreciate that. Coming in clutch. I appreciate that. Now, let's get back on topic of this podcast, and we're going to talk very quickly, maybe not quickly, I don't know, about the visitor's... (laughs) That were on hand for USC, UCLA. Obviously, we already mentioned Desmond Stevens being on his official visit. Draylon Miller, we reported in the war room, who was supposed to be taking his unofficial visit to USC this weekend, did not make it out. He instead went to or was scheduled to go back to Texas A&M for their game last weekend. So he was not part of this weekend visit. But... Some of the guys I did see on the sideline, you had, obviously, four-star cornerback commit, Marcellus Williams, uh, four-star Milliken wide receiver commit, Ryan Pelham. You had, once again, Diamond Ranch defensive tackle, Trinidad Wilson of the 2025 class. You saw five-star Loyola cornerback and USC commit, Braden Lockhart. You had four-star San Juan Capistrano linebacker, Madden Faramino. Feriamo, excuse me, who I believe might have been his first game this year in the Coliseum, but that was a big uh, attendee. Another big attendee was four-star Waukesha, Wakesha, Wisconsin offensive tackle Owen Strabig, who is literally lives up to his last name. He is like six foot eight, three hundred and ten pounds. He is a massive human. Four-star K-D wide receiver Andrew Marsh, who has been very involved with USC. Four-star Kissimmee, Florida, linebacker Elijah Melendez, who USC made his top ten. They were there. Him and Andrew Marsh were together in their Trillion Boys sweat, so they were kind of on the visit together. Three-star Newberry Park tight end Blake Bryce. You had Tron Breaker in the 2026 class, the, the USC commit. You had St. John Bosco, edge rusher Dutch Horace. And then you had San, Santa Ana Marta cornerback cj lavender so we've obviously had more star studded uh visitor lists but there were some uh there were some names in attendance gerard for for usc to take a 38 to 20 loss
0: yeah uh not a bad looking list an interesting list uh from the standpoint of having some out of state Mm -hmm. recruits come in And we saw last season where USC used the Notre Dame game to really try to get a jump on the 2024 class. The 2023 class was the graduating class. And here it's more 2025 uh, where you get some of the more impressive names, the, the bigger names that are coming in. So another move to try to get your foot in the door with the 2025 class Uh, going into the off season where the coaches will be out there in January and they'll be making uh, their visits to various high schools. And then you're going to have your junior days and that whole process begins again. And so last cycle, you know, when we were here last year, there was a lot of buzz about the Notre Dame weekend. And I was lectured by how big it was for USC. And I mean, you can check the commit list now how big it was for USC I think they've gotta try to springboard uh, from the this this basically this week into the January week and try to get more commitments early on. You know that I think is going to be something that's important for them. Lincoln Riley has talked uh, in conjunction with the new defensive coordinator hire recruiting the defense harder. That's something that he said to. Uh, several recruits on the defensive side of the ball. We want to recruit the defensive harder. We want to put more emphasis on the defense, which, yeah, duh. But I mean, it is good to hear from Lincoln Riley, and that is a message that Lincoln Riley has said to several of these recruits. One recruit of the 2025 group that we've spoken to, which Kind of an interesting comment where Ryan Odom had basically said that um, Elijah Mendez was their number one linebacker recruit um, out of uh, Osceola High School there in Florida. He's a bit more of a downhill thumper type. You know, he's 6'2", 230, and uh, a, a kid that is a bit more of a 34 defense type player. I mean, I think he would be more of a two-gap that you would be running with that type of player. So that's an interesting comment that's made uh, and once again uh, one of those things where you're you're looking for those breadcrumbs trying to get a feel for you know what USC might be doing uh, from a defensive coordinator standpoint and how it may uh, kind of line up with the recruiting and, and what they're doing on the recruiting trail and you talked about Owen Stryberg uh, being that big uh, four-star off to tackle from Wisconsin um they've had some scholarship offers go to minnesota so everybody is going oh man that means jim leonard that means jim leonard uh i don't know that that really does mean jim leonard i just think that uh it's probably more coincidence than anything but nevertheless uh that's uh something to keep in mind you know something to think about uh with that group of visitors but uh yeah it's definitely a group where 2025-2026 a bit more of the emphasis. Granted, I think that's been the case for much of the season. You know, we haven't seen any big weekends where you've had multiple visitors from the 2024 class that are uh, in, in, uh, in, in season visitors during games and guys that USC is trying to make a move with. And we said really coming into October, if USC was going to make a move. And this was, you know, when USC was still undefeated or, you know, maybe they just come away from that loss against Notre Dame. You're looking at decommitment season. You know, you're looking at the flip season and you want to know, is this class going to change a whole lot uh, going in the flip season? Well, you've got to continue to win and you're getting in the meat of your schedule. It turns out USC did not do well in the meat of their schedule and they lost a majority of those games. You have no momentum on the football field right now. You're dead in the water in terms of that and so the majority of the big names that you were going to try to recruit from the 2024 class were going to be guys that were going to be committed elsewhere at this point in time there's not a whole lot of momentum and I don't see them flipping a whole lot of guys to really change where this recruiting class is you know they're 18th I believe right now I don't think they're not getting into the top 10 uh and and I think the only possible way that would maybe, maybe change. And I wouldn't even want to raise expectations that they would get a top 10 class even with this move, but it would be potential if they actually did go after Elijah Robinson and Fran Brown. And then you're dipping in potentially to Georgia's class and Texas A&M's class. And there you've got some five-star level guys. And I think that's probably a good segue into talking a little bit about the overlap that you see with usc and texas a&m on the recruiting trail and so it's interesting the last i'd say four or five years it's even before usc hired lincoln riley with the clay helton staff going into texas as much as they were we've seen more head-to-head battles with texas a&m and usc than we have usc and ucla which is bizarre it's bizarre and it's probably not a good thing for usc but nevertheless, that is the state of the program. That is a state of recruiting where they are going into Texas enough where they are having enough head to head battles with Texas A&M that they're a bigger rival at this point on the recruiting trail uh, for recruits than, than UCLA is. And USC, with the firing of Jimbo Fisher, one of many schools that are kind of zeroing in on several Aggie football players, you mentioned Draylon Miller didn't make it out to USC for his unofficial visit. Not necessarily the best uh, turn of events. Not not Mm -hmm. a positive development there for USC. Mainly because it's back to Texas A&M for him, and the thought was he'd sort of gotten away from Texas A&M. It was going to be LSU and USC. USC was very confident there against LSU, even though there were plenty of people Telling me off the West Coast that listen LSU is a big player for them. Don't count out LSU, and certainly again the play on the football field. The offense has played well in some of these games. It not played well in some of these games. Uh, I think there's still a lot of sell that you can you can have from the Trojans offensive side of the ball uh, in terms of you know the development and the numbers that you can put up. The offense. I think there's a lot of sell for Draylon Miller. The thing is, they got to get him back on campus. And now it's just sort of up in the air. I uh, haven't yet heard anything specifically about him rescheduling a date. From what I did hear in general, USC was trying to make a move of getting several Aggie commits on campus at the same time. Now we know they've already hosted uh, Gabriel Relford, the three star. defensive end, defensive lineman from Shreveport, Louisiana, Evangel Christian High School, uh, 6'2", 255 pounds, probably an interior guy in college. Uh, He, you know, had some interesting emotes and and made a couple of tweets here and there about USC uh, when some other uh, commits and and recruits for Texas A&M were mentioning USC, one specifically Being uh, Dylan Evans, another defensive tackle, a a high four star defensive tackle at a Longview, Texas Pines High School, not Longview High School, where Taylor Tatum is at, and he's another you know, 6'4, 6'5, 280 pound defensive lineman, a player that you know, USC would love to have. Now, he was talking about maybe coming in this weekend. The latest intel I have, and again, we're talking on a a Monday, Tuesday, instead of, uh, you know, a a Wednesday, Thursday. The latest intel I have is probably not this week. This sounds like he's going to Florida this week. He's also recovering from a knee surgery. So he's been home actually, and he was home last week, but he did get a scholarship offer from USC. He is talking about officially visiting USC. So we'll see if that happens. It's not, Probably going to be this weekend, maybe the following weekend. But there's very few weekends now. You know, we're getting up and uh to uh, the dead period here in, in uh, mid December, and so we're going to see you know how many weekends USC has. If they again, their pattern uh, in terms of what they like to do with weekends and recruiting, they like to have big recruiting weekends. It seems like they're not big on like three, four guys over the course of three, four weeks, it's usually like 10 guys, 12 guys in one week. So this might be like an Aggie weekend. Another player that they were recruiting that they've contacted with, and they're trying to get on an official visit is Templeton, Texas, five-star athlete, Terry Busey. Uh, He's potentially a cornerback. I think with Texas A&M, from what I understand, they're recruiting him more as a defensive back, but he plays quarterback and is like puts up insane numbers as a dual-threat quarterback at at the high school level, a small ball level of high school, so he's dominating at a smaller level, uh, but nevertheless a guy that um, could potentially maybe play on the opposite side of the ball at USC. I'm not 100% sure what the conversation there is, but that's somebody that they're trying to get on campus as well. Ty Anthony Smith they're still talking to, trying to get on campus. That hasn't happened yet. You see the move with Desmond Stevens and you kind of feel like mm, that's kind of the position that they were recruiting Ty Anthony Smith at, basically will linebacker. Stevens is a bit bigger than Ty Anthony Smith. The biggest knock on Ty Anthony Smith and why he's ranked so low, even though he's got great film. I mean, I think he's ranked too low, but the biggest issue is he's compact and he's small. You know, he's built more like a strong safety and not even a big strong safety. And so that's, you know, really the big knock on him. But I think with that will linebacker position, that's where USC's just decided, hey, we're going to make this move with Desmond Stevens. And maybe that's just a sign in general. They're not being able to move the needle much with this group that they're trying to recruit uh, away from Texas A&M. As I spoke about with Elijah Robinson And that whole situation with him being interim head coach right now and Texas A&M trying to recruit him, there's a bunch of schools that are lined up. Uh, You know, they're like vultures just circling College Station right now trying to get uh, transfers, looking at the recruiting classes because Texas A&M has recruited lights out. You know, they've got some really quality talent out there. That's why you got to bite the bullet with Jimbo Fisher and have to pay him $76 million because Mm – It's like it's not getting done with some of the most elite talent that you have ever had at College Station, like the most talented teams, both sides of the ball, but particularly defensive side of the ball. And so, you know, now that there's been that coaching instability there and and things have kind of shaken loose a bit. um, Yeah, there's a bunch of schools there. So USC is not just you know, in on it early or, you know, they've got more angles in other schools. There's just going to be quite a bit of schools there and they're going to have to compete with some of these guys. But nevertheless, that's kind of that initial group where, you know, some of the names that were coming up and guys that were interested, uh, you know, Dylan Evans, like I said, very interested uh, in, in officially visiting USC. Terry Busey's another guy that potentially is there. You know, will they get return visits from Miller and Smith? You would think that if they could get a couple of those guys that they just offered and they're interested enough to come, that maybe you're able to also get Miller back on campus as well so we'll just see how that shakes out maybe you know that that's going to happen again I don't think it's going to be this weekend I think it's probably going to be the following weekend where uh you know they're they're maybe championship week where you know none of these guys are going to be at any other schools uh, or at least they're not going to be at schools that are going to be in the championship games uh certainly so maybe that's potentially the week that they they bring everybody in so we'll see we'll keep our ear on the ground uh, again you know um, as far as like this weekend kind of uh, holidays and everything uh, you know the the staff uh, I think quite a few of them are, are not even in the, the office right now so uh, it could be a week where you know USC just kind of takes it off and and Lincoln Riley goes across the street over to the Coliseum you're going to have a Bosco versus modern day at the Coliseum this year there's been a lot of talk about how Lincoln Riley hasn't uh, been uh, around and, and seen on the campuses of, of modern day and St. John Bosco for, for a very long time. And, you know, USC's presence locally at some of these uh, high schools is, has dipped a bit. Um, so maybe they use uh, this week to, to kind of get back with uh, the local recruiting scene. Gerard, that's a good place
1: to take our break for this episode. When we come back, we'll talk about USC's new defensive line offer a little bit about Cameron Fountain as something Gerard just mentioned Friday Night Lights with St. John Bosco. And then a couple of listener questions. And then we'll get through that and get set up for some turkey, Gerard. So we'll be right back after this break. <laughs>
0: This is Sandra Oreta from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golasso Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winner transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more. Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third.
1: Gerard, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Still, still emotionally bruised, but <laughs> in the second half of the show. So just try to rock it and close out strong for this episode, Gerard. Because a little hungry. And, you know, it's uh it's a low productivity week during Thanksgiving. So just trying to just trying to close out strong. That that's all I'll say right now. So Moving on, I did mention that there is a new offer out there in the 2024 class, and that went to – Gerard, I'm just going to have you say the name.
0: <laughs> You're going to have me say the name. Well, let's see. Is my phone on here? Because you got to be careful here. Uh, Jaday Abbasari. Now, you could pronounce it Abbasiri, but your phone will then ask you, I'm not sure. What do you mean or what have you? So that happened a couple times uh, talking about it. But my phone is actually off. I have to turn my phone off just to make sure the Wi-Fi is good and strong and everything. And I've learned that um, sometimes my phone is just a little bit of a hiccup in terms of connection. But, uh, yeah, defensive lineman out of Minnesota. Another Minnesota uh, commit that yeah. USC yeah. is going one after. There was another uh, commitment that they made an offer to, uh, like, I don't know, a month, month and a half ago, Koi Perch. Who is uh, one of the better safeties that I've seen on film? I really, really liked what I saw from him athletically. Like, really wow! And some people had made the comparison. Oh, he sort of is Jim Leonard. And trust me, <laughs> Jim <laughs> Leonard had a had a good career in the NFL, but he was like one of the smallest safeties in the NFL. Jim Leonard did it despite. Um, Coy Perch is like he's a dude. He's he's athletic. He's one of those guys he's said, a freak he's a specimen yeah yeah Jim Leonard m- might still be playing if he, he looked like Koi Purse so uh nevertheless uh interesting interesting that USC has reached out to of uh, all the schools that you would go head to head and battle with Minnesota interesting I I did pull up who was Minnesota's defensive coordinator it's Joe Rossi uh don't see any connection there, but you never know. That would be, uh, that would be uh, out of left field. And and certainly I don't think Trojan fans would be necessarily too happy about that. Um, But uh, nevertheless, yeah, kind of an interesting offer. Another defensive lineman and we know USC, they're, 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 they're reaching a bit, you know, they're trying to get some more defensive lineman and again, fascinated by the fact that I I guess you have to recruit, you got to keep recruiting, but you know, you're bringing in the defensive coordinator there is potential that the whole staff is gone and you have to bring in new position coaches and whatever the scheme is and what those position coaches are looking like. Are you able to build off of anyone else's commit list with your hire is always an interesting question. That was a question that we had when USC was looking for a head coach. And before they had hired Lincoln Riley, we went through the list guys like James Franklin who had An established commit list, a good recruiter, you know, how quickly could you flip and bring some of those commits with you and then, you know, build off of that? So that 2022 uh, commit list was bolstered a little bit by the hiring. And, you know, Lincoln Riley was one of the top names that you could possibly bring in that had a solid list of commits and some guys even from California. Now you did poach some of those players. Relique Brown was one. And then you got some of those guys from the 2023 class that came over, but certainly wasn't like they got a bunch of guys from the Oklahoma commit list for 2022 and were able to just, you know, bring them over to USC. I don't even know if Lincoln Riley made that push to grab a bunch of guys from Oklahoma. I think, you know, with Relique Brown, he was already looking at USC. And if USC would have had a head coach that was more successful. He probably would have been committed to USC over Oklahoma to begin with. He took a bunch of unofficial visits to USC, et cetera. It was really just at the end, keeping Dante Williams around, that helped with Damani Jackson. Uh, you were able to pick up a couple guys here and there, but you know it ended up being just a seven-man class. So you do look at that with the defensive coordinator position potentially, but I think there's only you know, maybe a couple names out there where you'd go, yeah, that would actually make an impact. Uh, immediately in the commit class as it stands, he's listed at six foot five, two hundred and ninety
1: pounds, number six oh nine overall in the twenty four seven sports composite, the number one hundred and the number one oh two defensive lineman in the twenty four seven sports rankings. And jordan I don't know if you watched some of his tape. I did, posted his uh, season highlights. Uh, from two weeks ago he looks legit size six foot five 290 plays uh nose tackle plays on the edge they play in a three4 scheme it looks like for for uh prior lake high school so uh, i like this film i like this film you know he's still kind of raw in terms of some aspects but there's a hope that he could maybe make a bigger jump in his development this year uh, i'm not really sure of his background but just from reading some interviews, it seemed like, you know, he kind of recently kind of picked up football and was still like learning the sport. But six foot five, two ninety, that's uh that's really good size, obviously. And this is a guy who is pegged to be in the Big Ten. Maybe, maybe want to play in the Big Ten a little uh a little towards the West Coast. So we'll see what's going on there. I'm sure Alan True, who does a, a really good job covering the the Midwest in that section, will have an update for us with uh this new Defensive line prospect, Gerard. And from there, we can jump into a current defensive lineman, edge prospect that is uh, currently committed to USC. That is Atlanta, Georgia, four-star, Rush N. Cameron Fountain, who is the most maybe interesting commit right now, just because there's, you know, smoke about a possible Flip or decommitment. But on the other side of that coin, his mom is 10 toes down for USC, Gerard. It's like everything she posts, shout out Casey Crawford, uh, just everything is USC, 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 USC. So it feels like it would be just a, a huge letdown for her if her son did end up flipping and they did not end up becoming trojans because obviously as we talked about in the summer with her the education was so important and she just seems like she is all in for the trojans his mother so yeah i mean it's just a very interesting situation right now between cameron fountain and you know what's going on in recruiting sense for him being a committed player we know she's locked in
0: Right. Right. Uh, and uh she's been very vocal, like you said, on social media. And that's always great. You know, she's been a bit of a catalyst even for the committed class. And we know South Carolina has been the main contender there, a main competition for Cameron Fountain. He's been there unofficially two, maybe three times at this point. His official visit he was going to schedule was for this week in the Clemson game. And so this is going to be the weekend where we kind of have to see where he pops up. Now, again, he's doubled down and she's been very vocal about USC, but we've been through this enough with enough recruitments to be skeptical and to say, all right, you know, we'll believe it when we see it, but there's still some confidence there with South Carolina that they will be able to flip his commitment. Uh, But nevertheless, I think, you know, Winning mom, mom, mom over is, is is huge, and USC's done that. The other sort of obstacle there is if Roy Manning is not retained, potentially, then that will be another chasm which USC is going to have to negotiate to maintain his commitment. But again, that doesn't matter as much maybe to mom. Now, granted, she has a really good relationship with Roy Manning. In fact, when I spoke to him last, and this was right after Alex Grinch had been fired. His mom talked to Roy Manning. He had not spoken to Roy Manning at that point. He spoke to Lincoln Riley. So, you know, mom doesn't have a good relationship with with Roy Manning. We'll see what happens with Roy Manning, and we'll see what happens on the defensive side of the ball. I think with Cameron Fountain, you know, the sales job in terms of where they want to use him position-wise and the blueprint that they had for him was rush-in. So we'll see. If that uh, continues to be the the thought process uh, from USC again, if, if Roy Manning is there, and uh, then maybe potentially, you know, you have a similar type of defense. But if you want to change your defense and you're running something more along the lines of a two gap and a three four, uh, which is what Jim Leonard would be running, which at Wisconsin, if you're just not understanding, because you know all these defenses look multiple. All these defenses look like they've got three down linemen, and then they've got an outside rush in that's in the two point stance, and he's sort of, you know, in that seven technique and kind of floating around. They all kind of look the same. The biggest thing is if you're running the three four, you need a exceptional nose tackle that is going to be able to take up double teams. So that means USC is going to have to go out, and they're going to have to start recruiting guys that are our 340. the Jay Toyas, the uh, really a Terrence Cody is the guy that you want, the former Alabama uh, nose tackle who was very dominant for them. Not type of players you see very much in the West Coast. Um, You're going to have to either get those guys and develop them or you're going to have to go outside the region and get them. Or you're going to have to use the portal and try to pluck some guys away from some schools, which is going to be difficult because there's not a lot of those guys available, Bear. Alexander's really not even one of those guys. I think in a 34 defense where you're running a two-gap scheme, Barry Alexander is going to be defensive end. 6'3", 300. You're going to really want to have three guys at the line of scrimmage. And for Jim Leonard, I think it was something like 291, 296, and then like 312 was his starting defensive line in terms of weight. So, yeah, you want to have basically like three guys you can put – as down lineman. Now, Jim Leonard used some two down linemen as well, and you change it up, and he changed it up more kind of towards the end uh, of his tenure there at Wisconsin rather than the beginning. I, I think, again, because, you know, with Rex Ryan and that influence from the NFL, he transitioned to college, and really the influence he had in college was Justin Wilcox. So from that standpoint, you see a little more Justin Wilcox with him later at Wisconsin. And so, yeah, where do you put Cameron Fountain and Justin Wilcox defense as opposed to, you know, what they're doing now? That's kind of how you have to look at it. So that could obviously affect what his feelings are with USC. But that's the football side. And, again, mom's not, not as concerned. I want to say she's not as concerned about the football side. But certainly there are other aspects, academics being one of them, where she is very concerned. And so – relationship with the coaching staff, academics, et cetera. Those things are not going to change uh, a whole lot outside of Roy Manning. So that is, again, the other obstacle that we have to look at. We have to look at whether he actually makes this official visit uh, to South Carolina for the Clemson game. Uh, If he does, then, you know, you sort of go, all right, that's that's potentially a flipping point. And then um, you're not completely out of the woods because we kind of have to see what happens with Roy Manning. He's got a great relationship with Cory Manning, but Lincoln Riley uh, is is there and involved, and you know certainly he's going to try to carry over. And he's already talked to Cameron Fountain about the defensive coordinator search to a to a in a general sense. You know they're going to go out and they're going to go hire the best guy. And basically, Cameron told me, I believe in that. I trust in that. I trust they're going to go get the best guy. So I'm not really so worried, Um, but um, yeah, things can change, you know, with, with, uh, with the optics and you're going to have people negatively recruiting uh, just depending on the hire and USC is just going to have to sustain that and uh, be able to battle through it. But it it's one of those things where I think you're definitely optimistic if he comes away this weekend not being in Columbia, South Carolina. I would say that much. All right, Gerard, our final topic,
1: which is actually just kind of me, because I don't believe you went to a game Friday night.
0: Uh, no, I had uh, no, my niece's birthday, and then yes. there was really nothing yes. going on uh, locally. And it was uh, kind of uh, the... The, the trinity league it was kind of the annual trinity trinity league versus centennial showdown either it's centennial versus modern Day or centennial versus bosco that nine times out of the ten is uh, what we get at the end of the season
1: yeah so i decided to roll down the street to bellflower and check out bosco taking on centennial matt logan uh heading out there as well uh at panish stadium and you know Good atmosphere, fun game, more so than the Sierra Canyon modern day game, which ended up being a blowout for the Monarchs. But I got a real nail biter and Centennial, you know, moving the ball all over St. John Bosco and credit to Bosco. They were able to prevent that game from getting away from them and fought back and ended up, you know, winning 43-42 Marcel's Williams was targeted a lot in that game. They were going at him. He had some plays, but he also made some plays. It was Do you the, have some was,
0: isolation film to back that up?
1: Yeah, I have some isolation film to back that up. Um, so it was it was a very entertaining game, Gerard. I got to watch a very good high school game and came down to the wire, centennial scoring, and then Matt Logan showing showing that he has huge cojones. And going for it for two for the win with eight seconds left, I I loved the decision. Didn't love the call. It seemed like a doom play from the start. It was an easy tackle for a loss for Bosco. But then Centennial gets the onside kick recovery and a, and a really good onside kick. So they get two plays out of that. One is bad at the line, and then another one is a sack that Controversial. They say they blew the the whistle too early on the sack, but I don't I don't know. You can go back and watch it. it Look like they had him pretty wrapped up, but Bosco survives going back to the the Division One Championship for I don't know the seventh time in like eight years or something like that. Uh, but Bosco moving on. Fun game all around,
0: Gerard. Yeah, we uh, watched Centennial play against Modern Day. Earlier in the season, and, you know, honestly, out of the gates, this didn't look like one of the better Centennial teams, but you just, you can't count out Matt Logan in that system because it's just so dang good and consistent. They are kind of like the organ of high school football, and so they played modern day really, really well. And um, I think modern day is probably more happy and excited to play Bosco again. One because it's a revenge game, but two, yeah, you know, just Centennial's hard to prepare for, and they got to kind of prepare because they played them early in the season. In fact, I think that was the first game of the season for both teams. Uh, you play Centennial kind of in the middle of the season, man. That's one of those teams that it's it just it takes some time to to prepare for that offense and it can uh, it can be more difficult. So I think uh, modern day is actually probably breathing inside of relief to some extent that they get to play Bosco again because they get to avenge that loss, a bad loss uh, for, for modern day. And um, at the same time, I think they kind of technically match up even though they lost to them. I think they kind of match up a little better with Bosco. So they'll be very well aware of Bosco. Again, this isn't even really one of Bosco's better teams. No. Um, and maybe that was part of why they kind of fell asleep. It it really comes down to modern day's offense. Modern day's offense has been very kind of meh. You know, Elijah Brown is 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 a good uh quarterback, manager, game manager, but he's not super elite in terms of arm strength or accuracy or or mobility or any of those things. You know, he's a smart sounds quarterback. Sounds like
1: you just it sounds like you just named every character a quarterback.
0: I named every characteristic. Like he, he's, he can't do he's not, anything. He can't throw the deep ball. He's not accurate. He can't run. <laughs> no, no, no. He's not elite in those in those senses. I mean, he can throw the ball decently. He was he's doing he's
1: a long list, and it sounded like
0: you were decently talking. accurate ball placement is eh, sometimes below average. But I mean, just in general, like nothing pops out at you. And that was always the question about him as a recruit for USC. In the 2024 class, if USC was going to take a quarterback, which they offered Elijah Brown and they recruited Elijah Brown sort of off and on, it seemed it was, are you are you reaching here? Because, you know, the conversation then becomes like, okay, are you taking a quarterback out of the portal this this year um, or are you going after a guy that's a high school guy? And are you getting the guy that you really want as a high school guy who you believe is going to be able to push? for the starting job when Caleb Williams leaves. And so Elijah Brown just didn't really fit that profile. And, you know, offensively that he, he's, it's, it's conservative approach and, you know, they run the ball really well. Now Jordan Davidson has been hurt uh, the past few weeks and, and had a, a decent injury there, which, you know, he said he was going to be back for the playoffs, but, you know, it was like, okay, I don't know if he's going to be back for the playoffs. And so I, I don't know – I don't think he played last weekend either. Uh, JP covered that game against Sierra Canyon. And it's uh,
1: play this past week.
0: He did play this past week. Okay, I didn't – I didn't read. Palmer, Palmer was out.
1: Or Frazier. Palmer. Sorry,
0: Frazier. State oh, Frazier. Frazier. I was like, yeah, Nate Palmer confused with Nate Fraser. There you go, buddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nevertheless um, – yeah, they've had some injuries with the run game, but I, I mean, again, it's it's like they're they're very in a way they kind of remind me of Alabama, um, but maybe better at the quarterback position in terms of being able to be a little more balanced. Alabama right now is is you know this is one of Nick Saban's better coaching jobs I think this year uh, because they're just not great at quarterback and they're very one dimensional and it. Took that offensive line a while, even though it's incredibly talented, like their offensive line. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let me talk about like almost the antithesis of what you've seen at USC, recruiting elite offensive tackles and interior guys for the past four or five years. And they've got a really good offensive line with a lot of talent on it. But it just wasn't producing very well early in the season. And modern day similar. I mean, day is just like better offensive line on paper than anybody in the country. Let alone in Southern California, and you've got two elite running backs back there—a high four-star junior and a guy that's a high four-star senior committed to, to Georgia. They're not great uh, at the receiver position. They don't have like the big playmaker guy. They've got some younger guys that are good-looking players, um, but you know, they, there's some, this is some some comparison there. And when I think about them, their strength is their defense. I mean, that is where they are. They've got a tremendous back seven. They've got a good defensive line. Granted, I think Aiden Breland has been a bit question mark in terms of his production as opposed to his ranking as a recruit. But nevertheless, I mean, it's just like, wow. And I I think defense wins championships. So, I mean, if I'm going on record is like, who do you think is going to win? Because I know that's the next question you're going to ask because you love to put people on the spot with questions like that. Christopher Trevino.
1: I ain't
0: doing no such thing. <laughs> As I'm doing to no Christian, such thing. Trevino, it's Christopher N. His evil to twin. Um, I, I'd say I would pick uh, Modern Day. I think Modern Day wins that game. I think they're prepared for this game. They're, they'll be up for it, and the defense is going to be—they're going to be money. So this is going to be a real difficult game for Bosco to win. I think. I think it's going to be—it's going to be a war. And they're two good teams, but I, I would I would pick moderate a to win. I think
1: the what's, pe- biggest. What's the cover? What's
0: the? What, if, uh, if Ryan was here, we would we would have a right. point spread
1: that we have to. Pick I'm sure up. there's a cover somewhere. I'm sure there's a bookie who's taking high school bets on this game. I don't know what the. I have no okay. idea. I covered
0: easy with this last weekend because I was picking UCLA to win.
1: I uh, I think what's most painful for USC fans is seeing all the players that are never going to play will. Play for USC in the Coliseum. Playing in this game in the Coliseum. because As you mentioned earlier, this will be right across the street. Play in the Coliseum. They played in the Rose Bowl last year. And it will be in the Coliseum this year. I did want to shout out one player on Bosco who I was not familiar with. Max Amasio. I don't know if you know that name. Uh, He is a 2025 defensive lineman. He's listed at 5'10". But boy, he's probably like 5'7", 5'8", 255 pounds. He's like their starting nose tackle, but he swings out to edge. I just want to say if this kid was 6'2", or even 6'1", I think he'd be like a top 100 prospect. He is so quick, and he just makes plays and plays and plays. He was in the backfield like every time there was a big play. He was so active, always around the ball. Obviously, he's five foot eight, like 255 pounds, but he was just able to keep making plays. I know he was a big uh, playmaker in their their win over modern day in that offensive line. So, again, I think his only interest right now is Nevada. He's obviously very undersized, but, man, if he, w- he were bigger, he would be a guy a lot of power five schools would be on. So I just wanted to give him a shout out because he was – all over the field making plays on on uh, Friday when I went out to see them and Gerard that is going to be the end of our show but as you know, we always do some listener questions. Just a reminder if you want to send us a question you can email us at podcast at uscfoototball.com just make sure you put recruiting the composite 10k and hurricane whatever just so it'll go to my inbox We have two. Gerard. We had three. One was about Desmond Steffens. That's why I bumped it up to the cold open. So we got two. Are you ready to knock these out so we can get out of here? Let's do it. Let's do it. Hi. This comes from Paul in Vegas. Hi. Curious to know how much coaching staffs communicate with each other. For example, in the portal, would a staff talk to another staff about a transfer that wanted to go to a new school? Thanks, Paul in Vegas. I believe Lincoln Riley has alluded to them sort of talking to people about the kid, and I assume he was referring to another staff. But, the I, but
0: staff I, of the school that he's leaving.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: potentially, potentially. Um, you know, I I think every situation is different. You're not calling up the pit staff to ask them about Jordan. Well.
1: Addison well obviously because you tampered so why would you call them
0: well you said that not me um (laughs) but yeah in certain situations like that staff doesn't want anything to do with your coaching staff and they're probably mfing you under their breath so you don't really get much from that there may be other instances where it's a smaller school I could see an instance where it's not a power five program or potentially it's not even a division one program. And you've got a kid that's you know, blowing up and it's like, hey, you know, we really like this guy, but we want to ask around. I would think that most of the conversations you're going to have are coaches that you have connections with who have played against that player. That's maybe a better scouting report. If you can contact somebody who is an offensive line coach and you're recruiting a defensive lineman from a school that's in that conference, you might be able to get a little better idea of, Hey, you know, what did you think of this guy when you played against him last two years? And it's like, Oh no, he's overrated or, Oh man, he's a dog, whatever it is. I think that's probably more in line, with what you were going to get from a scouting report. You most of all, as a staff have to do your own evaluation and you've got to be confident with what you're seeing on film the interesting aspect of all this, and this kind of goes into the whole Jim Harbaugh thing and the scouting and stealing signals and what have you. I mean, is it illegal for schools to send scouts to games to just watch players? You're not there to steal signals, but you're there to scout the players. I, I don't actually know what the rules are about that specifically, but USC should be doing it. <laughs> you should be sending somebody out there to, to take some notes. I mean, it's becoming like the NFL. And, and the, the difference is, is the NFL actually is able to sc- send their scouts out to practices. And so you see, you know, defensive uh, offensive scouts show up. You know, they've always got their uh, briefcase behind them on rollers and uh, they're walking in. They go up to the uh, coaches offices, say their highs, and then they make it out to the field. And, um, you know, they take their notes and they're watching these players and they want to know what's going on. At USC. um along with all these other college programs, they're able to do that very limitedly at the high school level, but they're not able to do that at all with transfers. It's a weird thing because obviously you're trying to get players at the same level, but you're going off of either high school uh, in-person evaluations. Maybe you've seen them in person, whether it would be in at your own camp or at uh, the high school when you're recruiting them. And then it's just film from them in college, which is good film. But it's so it's so difficult. Uh, you, you really should have a scouting team like the NFL that can at least go to games and just watch a player and just watch them and see. I, I don't know. I mean, the argument would be, well, what are you really getting out of that? What are you getting out of that that you're not going to get from film? Well, there's a reason we do isolation film. I mean, there's Huddle Film that exists, and you have Huddle highlights. Cool, but do you have a specific eye on that player every minute he's out there? Watching him on the sideline, watching him interact with his teammates, watching him when the when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, when he's out of frame. You know, just focus specifically on that player, looking for footwork. I, I think uh, the 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 Alabamas of the world are probably doing that now again is that legal to send out any of your staff out to another college football game i don't know i mean some of this stuff again maybe i sound like a stallions would say no uh, maybe i sound like an old school guy because uh, some of the jim harbaugh stuff and the stealing si- signals as i've said in the past i kind of roll my eyes at some of it because it's like yeah everybody's doing that and they've been doing that for decades i mean it, it's like that's football if you're gonna have signals guess what man you know, it it is what it is. It's like it's it's kind of the uh, part of 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 having to uh, make those adjustments and make sure you change your terminology, change your signals, you change your calls. You have you have to do that. You can't just go, oh no, they're stealing our stuff because we've used it the past four weeks. It's like, well, duh. You, you know. So, anyways, um, I, I forgot.
1: This this is this is just a. I heard about a high school. I forget which game it was, but. They said there was a player that transferred to another high school in the league. And that player who was on the new team realized that his old team did not change their signs at all on offense. Yeah. So he was telling the defensive coordinator every every sign that was coming in. And it was like, That's, how lazy do you have to be to exactly. not like, like exactly. not
0: change it? Like yeah. you don't think of that? Yeah, that's not the the new team's fault. That's your fault. And so there's there's some of that that goes in with it. I know it's more complicated than that. But nevertheless, when it comes to scouting and evaluation, just away from anything going on with calls or anything going on with the actual football game outside of evaluating a specific player. And just eyeballing them and and what have you. I think one of the most important things, and I've said this before, is injuries. you you got to do your homework with injuries. You've got to vet injuries. Because, yeah, USC's been stung by that a bit. And it's like, oh, this guy from Alabama. Oh, my gosh. Alabama. He must be an amazing football player. And you bring him in and he's out for the first eight weeks of this season. They they need to chill with uh, going after Alabama. I I mean, to me, that's a testament of how freaking good Alabama is at self-evaluating the roster. One of the most overlooked underrated things in football, self-evaluation, being able to see what you have talent wise on your roster, who fits where, you know, it's it's part of development and getting the most out of your players, but it's also something just to be said to eyeball what you actually have. I mean, it's always easier to look outside and go, oh, this guy, he, he's fast, and he does this, and he catches the ball well, and he has this type of body that we need at that position. We want to change and evolve our defense, so we need this type of player. I, yeah, okay, I get that. You know, there's, there's an art in that, but there's also an art in seeing – the players that you have and seeing them every day and being realistic with yourself as to what you have and what you don't have. And Alabama losing all those transfers and they just were like, whatever, we're just going to go into the high school ranks. We're going to get more players. They didn't go after 20, 30 guys from the portal to try to make up for what they were losing. They went in the high school ranks and those guys that have left the vast majority of them have done nada por nada. So that, to me, tells me that, you know, Nick Saban and that staff and the staff, they know what they have. And that's one of the main reasons I think they've been as good as they have for as long as they have. It's self-evaluation and knowing the talent level and the capabilities of the players that you have on the roster. Our final question
1: comes from Aaron. When do you think the next DC should be hired by? I know that for head coaches Monday like, night, Monday night, oh. <laughs> I know that head coaches like Dan Lanning and Lincoln Riley they were immediately hired after the regular season ended. Also, the next DC I would like to see him hire big bodies, hire big bodies. I guess that's an NIL riff, but hire big bodies. I see Trinidad Wilson in the twenty in twenty four seven sports. I think could be a nice addition to the twenty. For class, also love the show, Aaron. Thank you so much, Aaron. I think we talked about it last week. I think we said it has to be done by December first, Gerard. In terms of a DC hire, no later.
0: Yeah, you kind of want to have somebody in place with the portal window opening up, and have uh, some assessment as to you know what your defense is going to be, uh, not just schematically but philosophically. And then you have to have position coaches in place because there's going to be some moves there. There's going to be some moves there. Like if there's no moves there, oh my gosh, it's, you know, you can hire Jim Leonard. There's going to be a lot of Trojan fans who are not going to be happy with that. Uh, certainly this is an instance where, again, you know, wouldn't necessarily be able to pound the table for any one position coach. And uh, the UCLA game did nothing to change that. So, I would, yeah, I would say absolutely. I I mean, the sense that I got over the weekend is USC wanted to get this done quick. Uh, But, again, if Jim Leonard's your number one guy and you really like Jim Leonard and there's a big gap between Jim Leonard and the next guy and you've got that much money to spend, and we're talking, you know, two million plus, then you maybe have to take a step back and wait and say, well, okay. is Dave Aranda going to be available? Is there someone else that we want that's going to be available? I mean, can you wait on Schumann at Georgia? Can you wait for somebody from the NFL? Can you wait on somebody who's in the playoffs? That seems like a bit of a stretch. And that's part of the problem right now with the way everything has been organized and scheduled by the NCAA with the portal windows and the early signing period and everything—it's—it's—it's it's, it's like impossible anymore to really. You, you're almost sacrificing the whole end of the year when you make any kind of coaching change. It's—it's it's, maybe they see it as a bit of parody, you know. I don't know. I mean, it—it it, wouldn't seem like it's parody. I mean, you got Nick Saban there, and there's very little coaching turnover for for some of those teams at the top. There, there wouldn't be a lot of parody, but nevertheless. It's just one of those things that you are – I mean, look at USC, in mean, the 2022 recruiting class. Now they got a bunch of transfers, but the high school recruiting class, I mean, they got nothing out of that. They got Burley Brown. They held on to Demonte Jackson, who had already been committed, and then he decommitted, and they got him back. So I don't really see that as like an addition. They were able to get C.J. Williams, and that was it. That, that's That's what they got more. You know, that was the addition of Lincoln Riley. Now, if you had the signing period in February, like back in the day, I mean, I think that 2022 recruiting class looks much, much different, much different. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you make big coaching moves at the end of the season, and you're basically just taking it on the chin in recruiting and hoping that you can make some type of maneuver with the transfer portal. But even now, because you have windows with the transfer portal. That kind of, you know, limits things a little bit as well. So we have to see how that goes um, in terms of a new staff kind of hitting the ground running and trying to make the most of uh, whatever connections they have and, you know, whatever um, overlap there's that, that there of the guys that maybe they are recruiting, if they're coming from another school that USC has been recruiting and you're able to maximize that. There's just not a lot of time to do it. Gerard, that is going to
1: wrap up the Thanksgiving episode of season two.
0: For the Can we say that we're, we're absolutely thankful for everybody that listens to the show. We're yeah. absolutely thankful for everybody who subscribes to the Peristyle, which is what makes this show possible. Because this is a free podcast. And people have always brought up, you're like, why is it a free podcast? Dude, this should be premium. We really don't have a way to put it behind a premium wall, per se. That's been, you know, the biggest issue. So we do absolutely appreciate everybody who subscribes because, again, that's why we're here. <laughs> we wouldn't have jobs if we mm-hmm. didn't have uh, the peristyle. So absolutely thankful to everybody and uh, the community that we have, uh, even through the lows, uh, through this season, and the crazy amount of moderation. This has been one of the more divisive seasons In USC football history, which is saying something considering the Clay Helton era, I would say that this kind of goes back to maybe Lane Kiffin 2012. I think we're in that stratosphere of, uh, you know, people just not being happy and arguing because I think it is all about the potential that's there. You know, there was the potential there with Lane Kiffin. He was a great recruiter. They had an amazing recruiting class that year. And yet the product on the field did not match that. And so you have those that are calling it for the product in the field. Then you have those that are diehard fans and just they want to be optimistic and they want to believe this is going to change. There's something here to hold on to. But the Clay Helton era, there really wasn't a lot to hold on to. I think that there was more of a majority of fans even out of the gates, despite the 2016 season, felt like Clay Helton wasn't going to be the answer. So everybody kind of came to that conclusion pretty quickly after 2017. But with Kiffin, there is a little more promise there. And certainly you're coming away from the Pete Carroll era still. You know, you're still butted up against one of the best runs in college football. So you had those remnants. So we're at a position now where, like, there were so many expectations coming away from 2023-22 class. And the the resume that Lincoln Riley comes in with from Oklahoma – uh, butted up against just a really sorry season and, and didn't meet expectations. You know, the defense and bringing back Alex Grinch and everything. Everybody's kind of trying to jump the shark as to what's going to happen. And, you know, USC is going into the Big Ten next year, and that's going to be a brutal schedule. So they got to write the ship quickly. So it's been a rough one to moderate the message boards. Chris, you get, you get to uh, not even look at the message boards uh, during game days, but they are brutal – and, uh, I'm still thankful for everybody that's there, even the trolls. It's, you know what, there's some entertainment value in it and uh, I hope people can take it for what it is. And, uh, if it's not insightful, they do get a laugh.
1: Yeah. I echo everything Gerard said. I'm very thankful for all the fans of this podcast and the listeners and the Meredith Schlosser. We're
0: always thankful for Meredith. Uh,
1: yeah. Shout out Meredith, Meredith Schlosser for her sponsorship. Very thankful for that. And, you know, very thankful for all the, you know, last week was the end of the season. So I was very thankful for all the people that would come up to me at meetups on the road or in the Coliseum and tell me they were big fans of the podcast, Composite Two Star Recruits, and of uh, me and Gerard. And a lot of that was also tell, asking, can they meet Gerard? When will Gerard <laughs> come out? So, yeah. So very thankful. For all that, and also very thankful for you, Gerard Hurricane, for, you know, you carry this pod, like you carry me in Division when we play. So, uh, there are times when I I have to go and preview the episode, and I'll click at, like, ten random spots, and I'm lucky if I hear my voice in one of those ten random clicks. It's it's very funny. Uh, But, yeah, you
0: and you're sounds like a good drinking game maybe for 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 thanksgiving you and christian could just you know get everybody together and have a drinking game if you hit somewhere just randomly in the podcast and you're talking you got to take a drink another
1: drinking game yes
0: And you'd be completely sober at the end of the night
1: (laughs) yeah very much very much so so i am thankful for the hurricane for all that he does and carrying this podcast so thank you gerard well, I'm that.
0: very, very thankful for Christopher and Trevino and Christian Trevino, the doppelganger, uh, for uh, putting this podcast together. He edits. He's grinding. Sometimes it's a two-day podcast, which uh, you guys know we're doing it late at night. We're actually doing it early today to get it up a day early, too. So early and a day early. Uh, I don't know if this is going to – what do you think, Chris? Is this going to go up uh, Tuesday night, or do you think it's more a Wednesday morning type of podcast?
1: uh i think it's gonna go up tuesday uh tomorrow it's gonna go up okay. tomorrow i think it's gonna go up tomorrow yeah tomorrow afternoon whenever wait i forgot to
0: ask are you in the garage or are you inside no, no 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 we're good we're good we're inside okay. the okay. santa anas are blowing in the ie it's uh it's a pretty gusty wind that uh, we have out here but uh inside dry got my chapstick always by my side when the santa anas and, um, you know, like I said, thankful for you and thankful for Ryan Abraham, our our esteemed yeah. publisher and uh, employer, um, been a partner with Ryan for a very long time now. It's literally 20 years. So always thankful for Ryan. So give him a shout out. He probably, if he's listening to the podcast at all, he's probably not made it this far. Unless you put a timestamp in that says, thankful for uh, Ryan Abraham.
1: Yeah. And he's probably... Uh- deep frying a turkey. Cause that's his thing. So that's his, thing. That's his thing. thing. Uh, remember to send me that wet brine recipe, Gerard, do not forget. Cause I do want to try a wet brine this holiday for Thanksgiving. So again, happy listening. Thank you to all our fans of the show. And if you're listening on Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. If you're listening on Wednesday, I hope you have a good Thanksgiving and wherever you are in the world. Uh, and if you can't be with your family, well, I, I hope you still have a great Thanksgiving wherever you are. I am Chris. That is Gerard. That is another episode of Composite Two Star Recruits, and we will catch you next time.
0: That yeah, leopard sucks.